The following is recorded for Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Let's get into the teaching. I'm Romans 6. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back tables for you. Uh, if you don't own one, write your name in it. Uh, that's our gift to you. And uh, if you have a smartphone, I say it every week because uh, I want you in the Word of God. Uh, someone asked me, a little bit of Q&A, uh, someone asked me why I don't put the scriptures on the screens. Um, and I, I think that's convenient. I think that's easy. Sometimes I will do that. Uh, as a matter of fact, probably for Easter, I will do that. Uh, but, but as a matter of course, I want you to get in the Word of God. I want you to know how to find Scripture. I want you to know how to, so this afternoon, after you wake up from your epic nap, if you want to research something, um, then you can, you can get in and, and see. I want, you to, I want you to have access to the Word of God. I want it to get in and start changing you and transforming you. And, and here's, here's kind of the way I look at it. Um, if, if I feed you on Sunday, you're going to be hungry the rest of the week. But if I can teach you how to feed yourself, then you're going to be satisfied every day. And so that's, that's why I do that. And so that's why I say, if you don't have a Bible, we have one for you. If you don't own one, write your name in it. If you've got a smartphone, find it on YouTube. Uh, YouTube. You could probably find scripture on YouTube. You can find a lot of other funny things on YouTube as well. That's the time drain for Matt. Um, but version. it's a free app. So Romans chapter 6, we're continuing the identification series. And uh, today we're calling it uh, Right of Way. Now what's interesting is Paul has worked through the idea in Romans about justification. Justification is that, that, that life-changing event, that transformation. It's salvation. You might have heard it as uh, regeneration, born again, getting saved, becoming a Christian. H- however you've heard it termed, what happens is the process and the theological term is called called justification. And and it means that we have a right standing before God. We are justified before God. When I was in children's church, I learned this and I've never forgotten it. It's just as if I'd never sinned is how God sees me through the blood of Christ. And it comes down to the blood of Jesus. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. And Jesus is the sacrifice. He is the lamb slain before the foundations of the world so that we could be justified. There's no way we could do it on our own. And it took Jesus going to the cross and it took his blood being shed on that cross and him laid in a tomb and then resurrection on on Easter Sunday. That's what allows us to be justified before God. That when we put our faith in, in him, when we put our faith in a living savior, then we're justified before God. And then Paul, he just beautifully lays that out in the first uh, four, five and a half chapters. And then he starts moving into this, this process of sanctification. It's another theological word. You could blow people away at the water cooler if you drop sanctification. They'd be like, what's that? That means maturity. Um, and you could be like, I don't think you're sanctified enough to understand what I'm saying. Don't say that at the water cooler. No, you'd probably end up in HR and all that stuff. And I'll be praying for you for a new job. You'll get transferred. And I'm going to be up here a blubbering mess because you're going to move. Um, So don't say that. But sanctification is the maturity process. What happens is grace changes us and then calls us to continual change. It's maturity. Just in our physical bodies, we are born and then we grow. Growth is a natural part of of being born. And so as we we feed our body, and and I've got to admit and confess, the last week I have not fed it the most clean burning fuel. Um, uh, I've been on a a little bit of a tear lately. I had Chick-fil-A for the first time in months yesterday and french fries. It was so good. Oh my goodness. Whew. Just thankful they're not open on Sunday because I'd be there before my nap today. So 
grace changes. And that's, that's part of why, as a church, we have the mission we have is that we want our lives to glorify God. And that happens when our life is changed by Jesus. Now, it's not just a one-time change. It's continual change. It's a process of sanctification. It's a process of maturity. Because, you see, I, 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 my life has changed significantly from the time I was saved, but even from the time we launched the church. I'll tell you this, my life has changed significantly since the time we moved into this facility. I mean, I, my, my prayer life uh, has changed. My, my hunger, my drawing in, because I, I feel like we're just, we're positioned. I heard a, a stat this week that in the Alliance area, and, and that's up where all the congestion is, you know, the, where, and I'm going to tell you, you'll understand why it's so congested. There's 250,000 people that live in that section. What an incredible opportunity to share the gospel. It's like, it's like the starfish on the seashore I talked about the other day. I don't think that we'd be able to get all 250,000 people in here. We'd have been doing services all the time. But we can save one. And we can minister to one. And we can love one. And we can love another. And we can share the gospel with another. And so I'm excited about that. And my life has changed as a, as a result. And so Paul keeps going in, in chapter 6. And we're going to finish chapter 6. But the interesting thing is it builds, it, Romans builds. And as we, as we track through this, Romans 6 has, a, has a really a vein or a line that, that tracks through the entire chapter that we'll be able to tie up today. And, and there's some principles that are vital for us to live our identities in Christ. You see, when we put our faith and our hope in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we are justified before God, and we start that process of sanctification, the, the, there's something that, that, that happens in us, and we're given a new identity. We're reborn. Spirit gives birth to spirit. Old is gone the new has come. There's an old life that is, is dead and there's a new life that is born by the Spirit and that identity is who we live out. And these, there's some principles in here that are vital. And we're, let, let me read it to you and then we're going to come back. And, and this, this section has a coffee cup verse or one you've probably used in, in sharing the gospel and we're going to tie that in. And I'm, I'm just looking forward to it. So Romans 6.15, uh, Paul starts out again. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Now, if you go back to Romans 6, 1, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So should we sin more to get more grace? And then he, he starts to teach us that you're not under the, the rule of legalism, and we're going to get more into that next week, but you're not under the rule of legalism. So then he goes in the next section. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? So it's like, well, grace says, I don't have to live under that law so I can go on sinning. I can go on breaking the law. The, the law is given so that we know how imperfect we are. God didn't give the law to save us. He gave us the law to give us an accurate reflection of ourselves that the truth is we need a savior. And so Paul says, so since you don't live under the law and you live under grace, should you keep sinning? He's like, absolutely not. Because of what happens in our life, he goes on. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. 
I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you were once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification, maturity. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard of righteousness. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The, now, some of, some of these principles I'm going to recap a little bit from last week. The, the, the first principle is, is to know our position in Christ. See, when we're saved, we're given a new position in Christ. Uh, grace transforms us from death to life. And it's important that we know this. I mean, we need to know what Jesus did for us. I, I think a lot of people will... Uh, if you've tried to share the gospel with people, there's a limit, limitation to people's knowledge of what Jesus really did for them. And there's a, a limitation to their knowledge of the reality of their current situation. And so we, we have to know this. We have to know that Jesus died for our sins. We also need to know that we died in Christ. What we talked about last week in the first part of chapter 6 is that the blood of Jesus dealt with our sin. It covered our sin. It washed it away as we sang. But the cross of Christ deals with the sinner. Because Paul writes, he says, you have been crucified with Christ. And it's a past tense thing. So when, when we come to Jesus and we, we put our faith in him and we have that salvation experience, it doesn't mean he goes to the cross again. Because you come to him. And it doesn't mean that we go to the cross at that time. What Jesus is saying and what Paul is saying in the theological situation here is that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for sin once and for all. So when we put our faith in him, we have been counted, we have been reconciled, we have been reckoned as dead to sin as well. So he says, you have been crucified with Christ. So we need to know these things. We need to reckon these things. And, and, and can I be honest with you? The, the enemy, Satan, does not want us to live up to our position in Christ, so he tries to confuse us. Well, you, you can't be saved if that's how you think. You, you can't be a Christian if that's the way you behave. He wants to confuse your identity. Here's what you need to know. When you have genuinely placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you said, here I am. I'm a mess, I'm broken, I've got sin, I've got issues, and Jesus, I need you to forgive me. I need you to change my life. I need you to, to be the Lord of my life. Don't just be Savior, don't just save me, but be the Lord of my life. When there's genuine confession and genuine repentance, we're told in Scripture that God is faithful and just to forgive. And he says, you're mine. Ephesians 4 tells us that we are, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. He says, you're mine. And the enemy wants to confuse us as much as he can so that we start tripping up and we start second guessing. Well, I don't know if I really am. Well, I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know if God really loves me. I mean, Jesus loves you. While you were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
that shows a love greater than we can ever imagine. We need to know we have a new nature. So there's knowing that happens. There's reckoning that happens. So we reckon the death of our old self and our new life. That's the accounting term that we have to get into. And, and we make an entry and say, okay, I am dead to sin, but there has to be a, a balancing entry. If you've ever balanced a checkbook, you know, most of us don't balance checkbooks anymore. We just look at the account. How much is in there? What's the date? We're good. I got this many days in the month. I got this much money in the bank. Baby, we got to pray. We need Jesus. Jesus, take the wheel. But there, in accounting, you have to have balancing entry. So if I'm count, accounting myself dead to sin, the opposite side of the ledger is I'm alive in Christ. Or you can look at it this way. If I'm alive in Christ, then I'm dead to sin. And we, we, we reconcile that in our spirit in our heart, in our life, and we, we know what Jesus did for us, and we know what happens to us, and this reckoning changes how we live our life. And that's where we get into the principle that Paul's talking about in, in verse 15 through 23 is this. We yield to obedience. Now, a yield sign can be a little frustrating on the roadway. Okay, a stop sign's pretty clear. You stop. Yield is one of those things that... that I, get, I just got to confess, I get frustrated with. Because if, if I've got the right of way, I want to take it. And if you've got a yield sign, it means you yield the right of way. I see a lot of accidents on the access roads. That's where they're the worst. I see a lot of accidents on the access roads because people fail to yield the right of way. And, and I'm guilty of it because I, I think, okay, I got a V8. I can beat that one. You know, and so you see it coming down the ramp. You're like, I got this. And you, you gun it. I, I'm not alone in that. Don't be looking at me with those judgmental eyes. I'm new in Christ, man. <laughs> but it's, it, it's an interesting concept because when we don't yield the right of way, we can create a lot of damage. Uh, we can create a lot of expense. We can create a lot of hurt. Uh, we can even create injury up to and including death. And so it's important for us to understand that not just, uh, uh, now let's get off the road for a minute and let's think about yielding in our life. Yielding means where am I giving the right of way to in my life? You see, I can know what Jesus did for me and I can know what happened to, to, to the old Matt. And I can reckon that. And I can say, okay, I'm reconciled with God. And so I'm dead to sin. I'm alive in Christ. It, and let me, let me just asterisk this. Uh, it doesn't mean that you will never struggle with sin. If, if, if someone has ever s- tried to sell you Jesus in the context of he's going to make your life great and you won't struggle with sin anymore, run. Because the next thing that's going to happen is you're going to be given this little cup of Kool-Aid. And they're going to go, welcome to the family. And this eye is going to kind of do some funky things. Look, I, I'm a new creation in Christ. Yes, I'm dead to sin. I'm alive in Christ. But you know what? That, that, if you don't believe in the resurrection power, if you struggle with what was Jesus resurrected from the dead, let me help you with some also some resurrection power. My old self. Because it seems so easy sometimes to go back into those ways. And I have to live a reconciled life and say, I'm dead to that. That's not me anymore. But I still struggle with it. 
And I can reconcile that, I can know that, but until I get to that point in my life where I truly yield my life to God and give him the right of way to be the Lord of my life, what Paul uses, he says, I use human terms because of our our natural limitations. So what he's doing, he's breaking it down into a a word picture and he's explaining it. And he says, look, you're you're going to be a master of something. You will submit to something. I mean, even when we get the most defiant, we say, I'm not bound to anything or anybody. We submit to something. And Paul's saying, you're going to either submit to one of two things. You're either going to submit to sin, and sin will become your master, or you're going to submit to obedience. You're going to yield to obedience, which leads to righteousness, which leads to a a sanctification and maturity, which leads to eternal life. And so we will yield to something. And it's, it's breaking it down in our, in our spirit and our mind. It's reconciling our head and our heart of knowing, reckoning, and yielding. And what happens is, is we've got to, to work on this idea of righteousness. See, when we're saved, we're made righteous before God. He did it. We can't make ourselves righteous. Everything to make us righteous comes through the blood of Christ and the cross of Calvary. So we have a position of righteousness in Christ. Now there's another term, not positional righteousness, but practical righteousness. And here's what it boils down to. Do I live out who I really am? Because yeah, one of the things I hear in, in, in church and Christianity is, is I think it's a cop-out. I don't yield to God because this is just who I am. I can't change this because this is just who I am. Who you are is is a righteous child of God that has a right standing with him and you have the position of righteousness and practically that should play out in your life. And maybe you've you've bought into the lie of the enemy. That's just who you are. And I tell you, maybe we need to go back and get the positional righteousness situation taken care of, and then let's move into the practical. And practical is not behavior management. Practical righteousness is me yielding to God. The most beautiful picture we see of that in Scripture is Jesus before he goes to the cross. He's in the garden. He knows what's coming. He's God. He knows the pain that's going to happen. He knows the wrath that's going to be poured out on him when he takes on the sin. And he's praying in the garden. He says, Father, if there's any other way we can do this, I'm listening. If there's any way that we can save people without having to go through this process, I'm in. Nevertheless, your will be done. What I want is to get out of this. But I want your will more than I want my way. What I'm doing, God, I'm yielding your way over mine. Because I've I've experienced this in my life. God knows better than I do. So why why do we yield... um, there's a couple, couple points in this. There, there's freedom in yielding to God. 
because whatever you yield to becomes your master. Uh, but, but verse 20 says this, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Now, that needs some explaining because sometimes we think I'm not going to submit my life to God because I'm free. I can do what I want. And, and we, go, we go to the whole argument we've heard since we were a kid, you know. Well, if I give my life to Jesus, he's going to send me on the mission field. And I don't want to go live in a hut somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And, and the enemy starts creating fear around all that. And so we say, I'm going to be free. I'm free to live my life. I may be saved, but I'm free to live my life. And even people, when I've tried to share the gospel, they say, look, I don't want to submit to God because he's going to imply all these rules on my life and I've got to live by this certain way and I'm free. I like my freedom. And Paul's saying, yeah, when you were a slave to sin, you were free from righteousness. But the best example I can find scripturally of, of what Paul's talking about in that is the prodigal son in Luke. You've got, you've got a, a father with two sons and his son comes to him and says, Dad, I want my inheritance. I'm tired of living under your household, tired of living under your rules. I want my half of the money and I'm going. I'm, I'm, I need freedom. And so for the prodigal son, he's living in a home and he thinks freedom is found in walking away from his father's household. So his father gives him his share of the inheritance. You find the prodigal son going to a foreign country and he ends up getting himself deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into bondage because what happens is his rebellion led him into slavery. And so what, what find, we find is he go, you, when you read through the passage, it's Luke 15, uh, that he has the wrong desires, he ends up having the wrong deeds, and then he ends up a literal slave when he's serving and feeding the pigs. See, the prodigal son wanted to find himself, but he ended up losing himself. He only found true freedom when he came back and he yielded to his father and he said, I've sinned against you and against heaven. Forgive me. And the father said, all I have is yours. It's only then he found the freedom. And so when we think about freedom here's how we can do it. We can either experience freedom now that leads to death, that ultimately leads to death, that drives us deeper into to bondage, or death now, which leads to life. How does that death now happen? Jesus, you be the Lord of my life. So there's freedom in yielding to God. There's fruit in yielding to God. Because Paul talks about the wages. He, and he says, 21, but what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? You see, sin pays wages. God also pays wages. Sin's wages are death. God's wages are sanctification and everlasting life. And when we look at that verse 23, you know, for the wages of sin is death, we tend to use that on, on unsaved people, you know, when we're trying to, you know, we pop over the cubicle and be like, hey, the wages of sin are death. You need Jesus. If that's your style of evangelism, let's, let's, let's train you. Let's help you a little bit. And it does apply to people who are unsaved. But look at the context. Who is Paul writing to? He's writing to Christians in first century Rome. God wants us to know, those who are saved and those who are Christ followers, he wants us to know that the wages of sin our death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. 
Because whoever we submit to is going to pay a wage. And he says, you can either produce fruit that brings shame. So our old life produced fruit that brought shame. And our new life produces fruit that brings glory to God. Let's, let me talk about that shame for a little bit. Because I think we get caught up in a trap. I see shame as like a fork in the road. And I think a lot of people live their life in shame. And I think there's two sources and two outcomes of shame. When you, when you come to that fork in the road, it's either going to lead to guilt. And, and that guilt's going to, to then lead us into uh, condemnation. That's one track. The other track when we come to that fork in the road with shame is it's going to lead us to conviction. And what that's going to bring about is repentance, reconciliation, and restoration. So, so let's go back to that fork in the road because I think a lot of people get stuck at that fork in the road. So let's use shame as the filter. So where does this shame come from? We know that our old life produced fruit that brought shame because we're ashamed of what our former life was. And now we want to produce fruit that brings glory to God. So when I get ashamed of my past, I'm at that fork in the road. When you think about your past, when, when, when your past comes back to mind and you start thinking about it and you feel the shame, you're at that fork in the road. Now let me, let me talk to you about where to go because you're going to get a voice that's going to tell you to go two different directions. You're going to have two voices trying to get you to go two different directions. The voice of the enemy is going to try to get you to go the guilt route and lead you into condemnation because then he can continue to use your past against you and get you ineffective at even living life. He will use that, that guilt and that condemnation to drive you into depression or drive you into despair, drive you into hopelessness, whatever he can heap on you. He's going to continue to heap on the guilt. But then there's that still small voice of the Holy Spirit that says, you know what, don't go down the road of guilt and condemnation. Let's look at the conviction because that destination takes us to rep repentance, reconciliation, and restoration. So how do, you, how do you determine where this shame is coming from? What's the source of the shame? Here's what I would recommend. When you start feeling that, I want you to pray about it. And whatever it is that the enemy is bringing up that you feel shame about, you, you ask God this. Have I asked for forgiveness for that? If the answer is yes, then you go down the road of repentance and reconciliation. And let me tell you something. You have to then take the next step and say, I know that I've been forgiven. It's been accounted for. And I'm yielding to the Holy Spirit and I'm not going to get wrapped up in the guilt and condemnation for it. Or when you pray about it and you ask God, have I, have I asked forgiveness for that? Have I been forgiven for that? If the answer is no, then that's conviction from the Holy Spirit because he's saying, look, there's something we need to deal with. There's something that's holding you back. So let's deal with it so you don't ever have to deal with the guilt and condemnation from that again. Because God want, he doesn't want us to live in the condemnation. We are told that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that condemnation from shame is coming from the enemy. And, and these steps, the knowing, 
the reckoning and the yielding, these are... These are attitudes that we've got to live in our daily life. These aren't emergency measures for a crisis. You know, we, we don't then get to a point of crisis and go, okay, what's the instruction manual say? We need to start living this out. How do we do this? When we spend time daily with the Word, when we pray, we start to, we start to see and know our position in Christ, and we start communicating with Him about it. And then that faith comes. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and that faith allows us to understand and know that we are reckoned dead and we are reckoned alive in Christ, and we're dead to sin. And then we, we can then start to yield to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is going to start. He indwells us. He fills us. We ask Him, God, lead me. This filling of the Holy Spirit comes from Ephesians 5.18 where Paul says, be continually filled. It's this, this word picture of a ship and there's a sail on this ship and you say, Holy Spirit, continue to fill that sail so that I go where you are leading because without it, you don't move. And I've gotten to that point in my life. Holy Spirit, unless you fill this sail, I'm not moving. And we yield our life to Christ. You see, the answer for sin isn't found in determination, in discipline, reformation, legislation, or human endeavor. Victory over sin comes through crucifixion and resurrection. And I can tell you, Jesus has already done his part. It's done. And so it calls us to really go to that next level of saying, all right, God, here I am. Everything I have, I'm giving you the right of way in my life. I'm trusting you. And can I tell you, if you struggle with trusting God, he is the most trustworthy. He will never leave you or forsake you. He always wants the best for his kids. And he loves you. And he's not going to heap guilt and condemnation on you. He's going to pour grace. He's going to wrap you in love. Because he has a better way. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the resurrection. And I pray right now for anyone in this room that has never experienced new life, never experienced freedom from sin, made new in you. I pray right now, Father, that you give them the courage to, to, to pray this. That, Use, they can use my prayer. It's not the words of this prayer that save us. It's the heart behind it. And it's the submission and the repentance of, of just saying, Jesus, I'm at the end of myself and I need you to give me a new beginning. I know what you did for me on the cross. I'm asking you to make me alive in you so that I can be dead to the old life and I take everything I am and everything I have and I lay it before you and say you have your way in my life 
me to be justified before God. Father, for all of us in this room, help us to grow up. Help us to be the children of God that we grow up and live the life that you have for us, that we can yield our desires, we can yield our, our, our needs, we can yield our appetites, we can yield ourselves, we can yield everything in our life, we can yield our plans, we can yield everything and say, have your way in me, Lord. Give us the strength and courage to get that honest with you. And that raw in our faith to say, God, everything I've got, you control. You be the Lord of my life. I trust you with it all. I trust you with my finances. I trust you with my family. I trust you with my marriage. I trust you with my job. I trust you with education. I trust you with everything. I put it all in your hands. Have your way. Love you. We thank you. We thank you for counting us worthy and loving us. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.